Welcome to episode 622 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Occasionally. Occasionally. And by occasionally, do you mean games or occasionally we actually record the show? <laughs> the latter. <laughs> the latter. But we are here. We... Yeah, it's just, it, yeah, our schedules. Anyway, mm -hmm. we have feedback, and so we should start with that. How did people send us feedback? Through our email address, entertainment20 at com, Or, you know, theoretically through our web form. But this one didn't come from there. This came through email from Brian O. And Brian O says, I think listeners would be, would, would like to hear and know about what Bill Hunt from the digitalbits.com said on a recent podcast of inglorious Texperts. Trexperts. 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 Haven't, haven't heard of that. That's also hard to say. <laughs> on episode on episode May 4th. Okay. On <laughs> on an episode in May, Bill Hunt mentions in the episode that movie studios are realizing that streaming is not as profitable that they wanted or expected it to be, and that they're going to shift back to physical media, aka Blu-rays, and probably UHD. That's an interesting thought. The Digital Bits has always been kind of one of my go-to sites for physical media information. In fact, when DVDs first came out, they were the source to go to for what's coming out on Friday, what are the new movies, what are you going to find in the stores? So this guy usually has the inside track, and I'm not convinced that this is that off mark. I mean, we know from stuff like what we're seeing from Netflix and Peacock and other services that are, to some extent, eliminating their lowest tier that doesn't include commercials. and requiring that the lowest tier have commercials because that's actually more financially lucrative for them than streaming alone. Streaming alone just doesn't get them the revenue that they need. And therefore it's not going to pass that revenue revenue along to the studios either. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not so sure about this for, for a few reasons, but I, I think part of it for me is what are we calling streaming services? Because if we're just talking about subscription streaming services like Netflix, Apple TV, uh, you know that that sort of thing, then okay, maybe maybe they they stop showing up on on some of those types of services. But, but what about just straight up purchasing? You know, right. through through Apple, through Voodoo, through through. Amazon, a million different services. I still think that that is going to continue to do well. Now, I don't know how well it's doing now, but I can tell you how many people I know who have Blu-ray players, and <laughs> that's a number that continues to drop. Yeah, and all of them have game machines, probably. Right, right. At at best, and and. Especially if we're talking about ultra HD Blu-ray players, it's yeah. pretty much only game consoles. So I I just don't see us making some big renaissance leap back to the the physical media space. I can certainly see us seeing less of of the big name movies being on. I guess what I would call third party streaming subscription services like Netflix and Amazon, but the movie studios have their own services that they can stream on. And maybe that's what the digital bits was talking about here. Like I, I didn't listen to this podcast. I don't know, you know, if Paramount and Warner and, and all of the big studios are not doing well on their own streaming subscription services for, for these movies. Fine. But but I also have to question, like, is this more about it, it's not driving subscription revenue, period, or when they're trying to do like these day and date 
launches that it's not doing well because the day and date launches for sure is going away. We've we've seen those drop off dramatically yeah. over the last yeah. year and a half. For sure. And that's actually a really good lead into some follow-up that Brian sent when I responded to this message. And he had pointed to an article that talked about how studios have stopped day and date and they've gone back to the available only on digital as the first way that you have it available. And then it comes out on disc and then it comes out on streaming for your subscription service. So the studios are still trying to, you know, get that money up front from people who are willing to do it. And you may still have that problem where you end up having families who have to have the new Disney movie as soon as it comes out. So they buy it on digital, but then your parent might be someone like me who's thinking, I'm not going to trust that that digital thing is always going to be around. <laughs> so I'm also going to buy it on disc. And then I've paid twice for it. Right. Right. And we'll talk about that phenomenon a little bit later. Too. Yeah. And, and the easier solution there is buy it on disc and you get a digital copy of it. Right. But your kid needs it now, not 21 days later. Does your kid know that it's out now instead of oh, 21 days later? Of course, the ads, mm. the ads, the friends, the TikToks. I mean, come on. Yes, of course. <laughs> All of those things. All right. Anyway, let's move on because Brian has more to say. He has a question for us. He said uh, he knows he heard about this a long time ago, but he didn't note it. And when backing up Blu-rays, he's noted that um, – you have to check which of the titles that you want to back up. And sometimes you don't know which one to check. And what was the website that would let you know the title and maybe even the chapters for a specific title to back up from a Blu-ray? Well, I went searching for this and the one site that I was aware of, I can't even remember the name of it now, is shut down doesn't exist anymore. Probably not a big surprise. No. But if you're using Make MKV, their their forums are amazing and there's a very good post in their forum and we'll have a link to it in our show notes that talks about a number of different ways that you can detect which is probably the title that you want. One of them includes actually checking different sectors or or sections and actually recording individual sections with something like VLC or not VLC. Um, I forget. It might've been VLC actually to determine which version you're watching, but it could also be as simple as loading Java on your machine, which is what I've done. If you load the Java runtime on your machine and then point make MKV to the Java library in the settings, then make MKV can usually identify the hidden labels on each of those different titles. And there's usually one that says feature <laughs> and, and that's going to be the one that you want. That's the way that I do it. But there are other ways identified in this post that I think will probably be useful to you. Yeah, this is a really, really helpful article that you pointed out. It used to be that there was just one, and it was the biggest one, and you right. just grab that one. <laughs> but they had to make right. it a lot more complicated. Well, and a lot of times it's because of different languages, or it could be different, uh, different legal information that might be needed to display on in different regions. It could. Also be that they're trying to gain the system. They're trying to make it harder for you to copy things. Right. They've been doing this since the day of DVDs and CDs. Yep. So, yeah. And then he has one more question. He said, do you have any tips, tricks, or wisdom, or knowledge to avoid the double dipping of, of buying Blu-rays? This gets back to what we were talking about. For example, we know Disney has a couple versions of Blu-rays. Blu-rays that come out after the theater release, then the diamond edition, 
that come out later, and then a box sets of things come out, and and he goes on with a number of examples of this. And I mean, this is nothing new, right? We've been dealing with this since the days of VHS. You'd buy a movie, and then they'd come out with the director's cut, and then they'd come out with the anniversary edition. And then they came out on DVD, and then they came out on Blu-ray, and then they came out on UHD. I don't know what to tell you, Brian, because I have bought, I don't know how many copies I can think of, of movies like Terminator <laughs> and other, like Star Wars, the the, so the classics like that. And it's not usually because I'm buying the latest and greatest version, but I want to stay up on the latest and greatest platform Mm -hmm. the media that it's available on and so that's what's been more costly for me as far as the different versions that come out if you have streaming services i think one of the answers might be take advantage of the movies that are on the streaming services and perhaps only buy the physical media if we know or expect that they're going to come out with a special edition later, when that comes out. Because you can get a lot of these things through streaming now, especially anything having to do with Disney. Right, right, for sure. My, my solution to this is really easy. So the the main differences that we see in, in a lot of these different special editions and stuff like that is about the extra content on the disc. Like sometimes it's a director's cut thing where there's extra scenes within the movie itself, but a lot of times it's just special features, interviews, other backstory sorts of things like that. And for me, I care about almost none of that. I really (laughs) just want to watch the movie. Yeah. So for me, it's always just been like, I'm just going to buy the regular version of it when it comes out. And when I want it, and that's good enough because I'm not going to watch all the special feature stuff. And then when the uh, Diamond Edition or whatever all of these other crazy things are that come out, like, I don't care because the movie hasn't changed. And the I think the one thing that's important to point out for a lot of people that they may not know when, it, you know, especially like if you recently got a 4K Blu-ray player and you're thinking... I want to get some 4K Blu-rays of of library titles that I that I used to really like. If you do care about special features and you're thinking I'm going to buy the collection that has all three movies in the set, don't. Because most of the <laughs> time when they do those collections, they cut almost all of that stuff out. So in those cases, you're probably going to have to pay more money and buy all of those movies individually than getting them in the box set. But again, for people like me who only want to watch the regular movie, that's never been a big deal for me. Yeah. One collection where they did exactly that is the Furious collection, where Mm -hmm. you got the movie disc only, nothing else. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The the Lord of the Rings ones did that. The... I know there's been a collection of Star... or, Or not Star Wars. The Matrix movies that did that. Like it's it's a real gamble looking at the box sets, but yep. if you're looking at library titles like that, you can probably find them individually cheaper than you could the box set anyway. So there are lots of options there, Richard. You you talked a lot about like you've bought Star Wars a million different times, but if it's on yeah. different platforms, I don't count that as double dipping. Like you went from VHS to a 4K Blu-ray. That's that's a different experience. And that right. I'm down with. That's totally fine. But to release the same movie four different times on the same type of media, nah, I ain't got time for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. I mean, the only time I've done that is if there is a special edition of the movie. There's a new cut of the movie that's substantial enough and that I care about enough that I would consider repurchasing it. The one thing I would tell you I would pay for now, and I think I'm aligned with pretty much any other Star Wars fan, this already came out and I missed it, I'm embarrassed, but the original cut (laughs) of episode four. Right. I want that, but yeah. Good luck. (laughs) Thank you, Brian. Appreciate the questions. 
Yeah, lots of great conversation there. We we appreciate that a lot. All of the rest of our contact information will be at the end of the show and in the show notes. And important to note, we mentioned that really useful uh, forum thread over at makemkv.com. You don't need to go and find that. We're going to put the link to that in the show notes also. So just head over to www.thedigitalmediazone.com and all of that will be in the show notes for this episode right there for you including all of the news stories that we're about to talk about. So let's jump into the news now. And we're going to start with Netflix. Maybe this isn't surprising. Maybe it is. But in May, uh, we we talked about how Netflix had implemented their password sharing crackdown, as everybody called it, when everybody who was sharing passwords started getting pop-ups on their TVs saying, essentially, you're freeloading on somebody else's account. You should stop doing that. And uh, they also made it super easy for you to switch to an ad-supported option if you were just looking for the the lowest cost option or any of their plans by transferring your profile over there. And uh, apparently it worked because daily average signups compared to 60 days prior increased uh, during the first four days of the password sharing crackdown by 102%. That is a ton. It is a huge amount. In fact, there was one day where they had over 100,000 new account signups. That's more, more than they even saw in March and April of 2020 when we were all stuck at home with nothing to do other than watch <laughs> Netflix. Yeah. I think we talked about this briefly. We had heard that there was a rise, but we didn't know how significant it was. This is pretty impressive. And hopefully, and, you know, I'm sorry if you're in this camp, but hopefully it shuts up everybody who is complaining about, see, there, this is never going to work. I'm leaving. Fine. You want to leave? Leave. This makes sense for them. This was a smart move for them. They gave warning. It had a glitch where they ended up getting something on the website in the U.S. that they weren't ready to talk about yet, and so they denied it. But we knew this was coming, and good on them. I, I don't, like I said, I don't have any problem with this, and I think we're going to see other services potentially do this, and it's easy to do. I still am a little bit confused about how they're handling stuff like you're traveling, you're away from home, you're in a hotel, the hotel has Netflix on the TV. How does all of that work? But I guess I'll find out because I'm going to be traveling again pretty soon. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how, how that works out in practice. But I, I think this is good news for everybody because if Netflix does well, then we benefit because they continue to give us awesome content. So I think it's good news all around. Yep. Next up, YouTube. Back in March, YouTube TV added support for watching four sports events at the same time. Well, why was it that relevant in March? March Madness, the college basketball tournament. Right. Everybody wanted to watch multiple games at the same time for a couple of weeks in March. So the timing was perfect then, but it's a useful feature all the time, and it's useful for more than just sports. And so now they're adding the selection or, or adding to the things that you can choose from. And they're including regular news, business news, weather, and Spanish language sports streams. So a lot more options here. If you're a day trader, maybe you want to have all of the financial news networks up at the same time and you're flipping between those, or the, you know, you want news and weather and sports all at the same time like that could be useful too i suppose <laughs> come on josh i know i know if you had a streaming cable substitute like i do with youtube tv there's a specific time that you would use this when would that be uh well there's probably two but you're you're probably thinking the nhl playoffs no, I'm not, but oh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, were you thinking Olympics? I'm thinking election night. Election night. That is a really good point. Yes. 
That would be such a good use case for this. Yes, that would be way easier than me constantly flipping between the various networks on election night. <laughs> right? Right? Yep. Yep. That's that's perfect. Yeah. I like it. I don't know if it'll get me to sign up for YouTube TV during election season just to be able to do that, but it's it's a, that's a that's a brilliant use case. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's still not uh, completely wide open to allow you to watch anything you want. Like like I sort of alluded to earlier, th- these are still pre-selected streams that you can pick from, but that's a much bigger range of content. And you, I mean, you're probably not likely to be trying to watch four different soap operas at the same time. So this is the, the type of content that I think makes more sense for this. And it, it's nice to see them continue to expand that. Let's move on to some Apple news. For, yeah, for you Apple TV users, like I think you're back to Apple TV. Is that right, Richard? I am. Okay. I am. Yep. Do you ever travel with your Apple TV? I used to. Uh, I don't anymore. Okay. I used to. Okay. I now travel with my Google TV, but the Apple TV is actually a good travel device, except that it's big. Yeah. You know that's that's the problem with this, but. The good news, if you travel with your Apple TV, is that they are, in tvOS 17, going to be adding VPN capabilities to the OS. So this is kind of interesting, right? You'll be able to, um, you know, if you have a VPN, then that means that you're potentially blocking anyone out from seeing what you're connected to. That's one thing. That's not all that interesting if you're watching TV. The more important thing is that potentially you're going to be able to watch content that's maybe in the region that you actually live in instead of where you've traveled to, or maybe from a different region. But here's the thing that concerns me about this. Now, I know there's details on how this is implemented and it has to work with your router and all that sort of stuff, but I know that some of the services are starting to do stuff like blocking when your credit card location doesn't match your supposed physical location based on your IP address. So I wonder if this is just going to accelerate that problem. Well, I, I think the big answer or the big factor in all of that will be which VPN services jump on board. because. They're, they're, the services are, are able to detect that because they know about various VPN services. And so they can focus in on those IP ranges and things like that. Well, no, because you, you are saying, you know, by, by IP tracking of the region. And so, yeah, yeah. Like, so if you're using this because you're in Europe and you're trying to watch your US, no, got this isn't going to work at all. I, I don't know how you get around that. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. This is this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out and and what this is actually going to be good for. But hey, like we'll we'll see. I, I, there's details on how this is being implemented in the Verge article that we'll post to, or that we'll link to rather. And it's worth noting that. The Verge reached out to ExpressVPN and NordVPN, two of the probably most popular VPN services that people get for their computers. And both of them said, yeah, yeah, we're looking into that. So we don't know who's going to support this. Yeah, but they also weren't even sure what the functionality would look like on the the Apple TV OS side, if, if it was going to be targeted more towards... Uh, business style VPNs versus consumer style VPNs. So we we will definitely see. Um, one thing I I didn't know or look up. When is TVOS seventeen slated to arrive? Do you know, Mister Appleman? I would expect that it's going to come out around the time of the iOS or the iPhone launch. Usually, it comes out in the fall. Okay, and it's usually either with the September announcements or the October announcements. Okay. So sometime this fall. All right. Which gives those VPN providers time to build their apps. All right. 
Uh, one last video story, and actually kind of jumping back to a, a quick hit for YouTube TV. They've rolled out some updates, some some new fixes, and these could be hugely beneficial for you if you've been uh, having any of these problems. So the first one is uh, a, a fix with audio and video sync issues where the words that you're hearing coming out of people's mouths are not hitting your ears at the same time that you're seeing their lips move. It is super annoying. And it's a problem that YouTube TV has struggled with on many platforms for a while. So that may already be fixed for you. The other thing is that YouTube TV, especially after long playback sessions, has been known to crash on Apple TV 4K devices. Have you ever had that? Oh, yeah. Well, it it does a couple things. Sometimes it just you get a black screen with nothing on it, or they also have this thing where the next time you launch it or reopen it, I should say, because it's already running in the background, then when you play the video, it only plays like in one quarter of the screen. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to back out and and unload the application, which is not somebody something that everybody in your household is going to know how to do, right? And so, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that this is going to solve all those problems because I have experienced those. <laughs> well, hopefully soon. You'll have to let us know if you get a better experience on your Apple TV 4K. Yeah, I, I will say, you know, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I bought the Apple TV 4K, the new version that came out this last year, as soon as it came out. And we've had so many problems with it. Wow. I mean, it, it's really astonishing how rough this was as a hardware product compared to all of the other releases. Frankly, even back to version one, the one that you could fry an egg on. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Well, keep an eye on that. Let us know if this gets better for you. And we'll jump into the audio news. Now, we don't always like to cover Stories that are kind of speculation or rumors, but the source here is a little bit more reliable than usual. The The source of the story is really Bloomberg, and they're not just some fly-by-night news operation. They're a pretty big deal. And they've got some supposedly insider information about Spotify and some of their forthcoming plans. The biggest one is about Spotify Hi-Fi. Spotify Hi-Fi is the lossless audio tier that they announced actually announced in february of 2021 like we're coming up on two and a half years since this (laughs) since this tier was announced and we still don't have it in the meantime most of their competitors have released their offerings amazon music and apple music already have lossless audio and when they did it they didn't charge extra for it which was the really crazy part. We, we've reported on all of that previously. But Bloomberg has information saying that when this hi-fi tier comes out for Spotify, it could cost nineteen ninety nine a month. The current premium tier is nine ninety nine a month. So it would be twice the cost that does match the cost of Tidal, which in 2021 was the service they were trying to compete with here. Right. But it's $9 a month more than what Amazon Music and Apple Music charge. Because while Spotify Premium is currently a dollar less per month than than Amazon and Apple, if it if it really does go to 20, then it's almost twice the price of their competitors. The other thing that factors into this though is that Bloomberg said that Spotify is looking at including audiobook content content in the current premium tier maybe in October. And I'm adding things together here and and making up some of my my own ideas, but what if the plan here is that this 1999 tier is actually hi-fi plus a ton of audiobook stuff and the idea that the audiobook content is coming to premium tier is just wrong. And that the premium tier that we know and love right now stays the same, although maybe increases to uh, $10.99 a month to match the other services. And for $20 a month, you get hi-fi 
and audiobooks. That seems like a better value proposition. I don't know that it's a good enough value proposition, but it's at least better. Yeah, I, I don't understand their strategy here. Do you think that their hi-fi library is larger than these other providers? I don't really understand how they figure that they're going to survive and compete on this tier when folks could get it from the other two major providers for much, much cheaper. Yeah, it seems incredibly unlikely to me that they have a noticeably larger hi-fi library than than their biggest competitors. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't get that. And the the other thing is I really don't get the bundling of stuff. You know, like Amazon Music, you can listen to podcasts there now. Really? Why? Like why I I I really don't understand the idea of bundling all these things together because I don't feel like they do as good a job on these other products. I don't feel like they are as good a podcast player or as good a book player because those types of products require like different ways of managing your library and listening to the content and playing it back. And so the assumption that, oh, well, it's all audio, so we'll just add these other things and that's going to bring people in. I'm not convinced that that's going to work. Yeah, I, I think it, it really comes down to what, what it is that's being offered for, for those prices. because. Bundling certainly works in some situations, but and and I'm right there with you on on the fact that like Spotify is not by any stretch of the imagination the best podcast player out there. Right. I, I don't I don't use it for my podcast, but I hear the ads that, in podcasts that I listen to that say you could listen to this on Amazon Music without any commercial interruptions and think, I don't know. That might be reason for me to start doing this. Like I, I, I subscribe to the athletic partly so that I can read their articles and stuff, but also because I can listen to their podcast without ads. And like, is their podcast player even close to as good as pocket cast? No. In fact, I actually went so far as to submit a bug report because it cannot <laughs> actually honor the playback speed that I want to listen to, to to my podcast at. It says that it's playing at 1.5, but it's not. So I have to oh, cycle wow. through the playback speed every time I start listening to a new episode. It's super annoying. But it's they're they're trying Spotify is trying to add so much extra content to their platform. And it's content that I'm interested in. Like, I do listen to podcasts. I do listen to audiobooks. So this could work. This could work. I just got to wait to see what it actually is and how much it actually costs. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to gaming news. And you would maybe think that given that it's, well, now the the end of June, I was going to say mid-June, that we have tons and tons and tons of gaming stuff because of E3. We have some amount of gaming stuff, but not because of E3, because there wasn't one. But there was still a lot of stuff, and I, I don't really want to dig into you know whether E3 should be fully dead or not. We've talked about that already. But I will say that Summer Game Fest and Microsoft and uh, Nintendo putting out their own uh, events and Ubisoft and lots of the other big publishers... From the consumer's perspective, from the game player's perspective, it was every bit as good as having an E3. We still got all the news. The th- these these press conferences are really just them showing us a bunch of trailers and stuff for games anyway. If you're not there in LA to experience it live and to maybe play some of the games, which you couldn't even do as a consumer until the last couple of years of E3, you're really not missing out on much by not having E3 right now. It it it's it's impressive to me how well everybody else jumped in to to fill the vacuum that was left by E3 getting canceled. But so what were the things actually worth us mentioning here because we don't really cover the games themselves. 
uh, a little bit, a little bit of hardware announced this this year, which we didn't really expect from any of the big guys. But Microsoft did actually announce uh, a, a a new Xbox, sort of. <laughs> so they announced a new version of the Xbox Series S. Now, when I say new version, I don't just mean like some new color scheme or anything like that, because they've been doing that since the the consoles launched in the, the fall of 2020. But this is actually a substantially different one because the Xbox Series S is the low cost $300 option that gets you into the, the current gen of gaming at a, a lower cost. But it's always had one huge negative. And that's that the SSD inside of it was only 512 gigabytes, which is just not enough for modern games. And right. so they're releasing a new one. And it's the uh, Carbon Black Series S. And the, there are only two differences. One, it's black instead of white. And it has a one terabyte SSD inside of it. Well, I guess there's three differences because it costs more now. <laughs> so <laughs> it's $349 launching this September. So it is 50 bucks more, but it gets you twice the storage. I think this makes total sense. It also, there are people who choose their gaming consoles. Uh, at least one of the big deciding factors in their gaming consoles is what does it look like? What color is yep. it? And maybe they didn't like the white Xbox. Yep. Now they can get a black one without jumping all the way up to the Xbox Series X. So is this coming in just black or also in black? I think it's just black. I think if you get the black one, it's one terabyte. If you get the white one, it's half a terabyte. Why do I feel like Microsoft has not learned the lesson yet that their history would suggest, which is that their second gen of their consoles that were white end up being black. <laughs> Which again suggests to me that they've had enough feedback from customers that no, we don't want it to be white. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like the the white kind of looks cool, but do I really want a, a big white box in in my living room when nothing else is a big white box? No, I, I don't really. Particularly these days where you don't have a stack of stuff anymore <laughs> next to your TV. Right. Anything that you have, you just want it to kind of just go away and be hidden. Yeah. Now, R Richard, you think that Xbox isn't learning its lesson. Have you looked at the PlayStation 5? Oh, I, I know. I know. It is yeah. a monstrosity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah the tuxedo front. I just Oof, don't get it. It's so bad. So bad. All right, let's let's stick with Microsoft. They also this wasn't part of um their their Xbox game showcase. It came uh, uh, about a week later, but we are now seeing an increase in both the cost of the consoles, the Xbox Series X specifically, and the subscription cost for Xbox Game Pass, but in different regions. So let me be super clear about this. The Xbox Series X price is increasing in August basically everywhere except US, Japan, and then Chile, Brazil, and Colombia. This basically, everything that I'm saying here about the hardware price increase basically matches exactly what Sony did with the PlayStation 5 late last year. The price is going up. Uh, I, I can't go through every region, so I picked probably the most common one where it's going up. Uh, in Europe, the, the Xbox Series X will now cost 550 euros, and that's the same price that the PS5 is in Europe. So, we, you know, we didn't love seeing this with, with the PlayStation 5 last year. Don't necessarily love seeing this with, with the Xbox either. And the, the weird thing to this is, Basically, every other console generation, basically every other console that wasn't a Nintendo, by the three-year mark of the, the device, we saw price drops. And instead, we're seeing price increases. Now, obviously, we haven't seen inflation uh, across the, the macroeconomic situation uh, to the levels that, that we've got over the last three years. 
pretty much since video games became popular, you know, but it still sucks to see that, you know, if you bought one of these consoles when they launched and planned to buy the other one when the price drops hit, well, when is that going to be? Will it ever be? It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a couple things baked into this. Over the last several years, when the supply chain has been all messed up and companies have been doing everything they can to ensure that they could still deliver product the customers were expecting, their costs increased. It is inevitable. And most of these big companies kept their hardware prices unchanged. And they just can't keep doing that, right? I think they absorbed as much of the economic challenges that they faced for the last three plus years. And they just, they have to move it. There's there's really no way that they can continue to lower prices in the current situation. Now that will, that might change over time. I mean, we will get to a point where inflation levels off again and we'll see technology prices drop again, but we're not there now. And, you know, the other side of this coin, and you haven't talked about this too much yet, but, you know, services are going to do nothing but go up in price. Yeah, for sure. And that's because of the fact that as more and more content moves to services and licenses and deals are made to ensure that all the appropriate people involved in making the content in that license are appropriately compensated, the cost is going to go up. Right, right. Which does transition as well into the other half of the story. And that is that the cost of Xbox Game Pass uh, for, for Ultimate and for Console are both increasing starting July 6th. So Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, it's going from $14.99 a month to $16.99 a month, so a $2 a month increase. Xbox Game Pass for console, so just just the Xbox version, increasing from $9.99 to $10.99, so going up by $1 a month. Interestingly, the the cost of PC gaming pass, uh, PC Game Pass is not going up. I'm curious about that, but not curious enough to really think that much more about it because I <laughs> I mean I, I think it's the 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 option that has the fewest number of subscribers probably and I guess as I think about it more like it could actually uh be related to all of the deals that Microsoft is making with other PC streaming platforms like GeForce Now now lets you stream or will soon let you stream uh PC Game Pass games, things like that. So that could factor in all of that. There's a lot of lot of potential options there. But I I think the the nice thing here though is like like it's never nice to see the price increase on things. But like every time a video streaming service price increases, we're like, oh my gosh, Richard, didn't they just do this? That didn't didn't they release or didn't they update this uh, or increase this last year and six months ago? The game price, the game pass price has not changed since the service launched right. in 2017. Right. So we all knew this was eventually going to happen. And so now it finally has. And it's not ludicrous. You know, it's a dollar a month more if you're just on the console. It's $2 a month more for Ultimate. This isn't all that bad. And again, it does as much as you can try to compare this to the weird offerings from playstation it does get it more in line with what playstation is charging for relatively similar services so all of that makes sense yep all right last gaming story and this is also about a subscription service for gaming but it's a new one from meta meta the the meta quest vr headsets are really the they're kind of the go-to option for consumer VR headsets because they've always been the a a lower price 
for a completely standalone system. So you don't have to have a PlayStation already, or you don't have to have a $3,000 gaming PC to use these things. It's just buy the headset. It's a self-contained device that has no wires. It just works and it works well. So they are introducing their own subscription service called MetaQuest Plus. They didn't get all that um, creative there with the name. MetaQuest Plus that works really similar to Xbox uh, Xbox Live Gold, where this isn't like a Netflix of VR game service. Instead, it's a you you pay us monthly, and we give you two new games every month. And as long as you're a subscriber, you have access to those games. If you drop your subscription and come back, you still have access to the games that you had previously. So very similar to Xbox Live Gold with their Games with Gold service. The cost of this, $7.99 a month. Not bad. I mean, that's cheaper than than uh, Games games with Gold through, through Xbox uh through the xbox service or the similar version on playstation the thing that i think is really smart about this is every single person i know who's bought a MetaQuest headset they buy it they get super excited about it it's a really fun thing they buy a few games then they get kind of bored with those games and the vr headset goes in a drawer to be forgotten about forever, essentially, until maybe somebody's like, "Oh yeah, you remember when we played blah blah blah? Let's we should do that again." Oh, it's not charged because it's been sitting in a drawer for six months. If they can convince people to sign up for this service at a relatively reasonable cost, and in, in my opinion, then every single month those people have new games to play, and if they have new games to play, then they're talking about the experience more. They're sharing that experience with their friends more. And it helps drive more consumer adoption for VR as a whole, which helps even more when, as we talked about a few episodes ago, MetaQuest 3 comes out this fall. This service works on MetaQuest 2, the MetaQuest Pro, if you've paid all the money for that thing. And and it will, of course, work for MetaQuest 3. So I think this is a super, super smart play. To just get people to leave the VR headsets on their heads instead of in a drawer. Yeah, I I think it's a really good idea. And I am pretty much in the same boat that everybody I know who's bought one of these bought one. And and it's not just the MetaQuest, it's any of these headsets. Right. You buy it, you play with it for a while, you think it's awesome, you play a couple games, and then it's just not the shiny new thing anymore. And if you can get new stuff to play for it for eight bucks a month, every month, that's smart. Yeah. I'm not convinced now with Apple in the game that this is the brand that's going to win this battle, but this is an interesting shot across the bow, I think. Right. Cause this basically puts Apple in a position of also having to ensure that they have games available to all of their devices users at some reasonable cost. Why? Why does it need to be a reasonable cost? Their headset is $3,500 and doesn't even include the top strap. <laughs> may, <laughs> may not. Let's not get into it. There's rumors that we're, we don't know. But yeah, there's some speculation that if you want the strap to help balance the weight, it's an extra cost. I don't buy that. I don't, I don't, no. <laughs> and and if it is an extra strap, it'll be like forty nine ninety nine for the strap that goes on the top of your head. Yeah, it's the Apple way. All right, enough <laughs> of me poking fun at Apple. We'll let you, the Apple guy, tell us what's going on in your entertainment center. All right, well... Hey, Josh, you remember digital copy by a disc and you get a copy? You mentioned it earlier in the show. I love so it. you do remember it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, I kind of rely on that. I love buying a disc and getting a digital copy that I can put in my digital library through Movies Anywhere. Shows up everywhere. And recently, I bought two discs. I bought the... New John Wick, which I haven't watched yet, but I'm very excited about. I want to watch that. And because there was 
I, I forget what it was. It, something like you needed to spend so much for free shipping or whatever. I also bought the movie Rampage. I don't know if you ever saw this. <laughs> no, because it looked stupid. <laughs> it is a movie with a rock. It's a perfect rock movie. And it's a take. It's based on the concept of the old game Rampage. Yeah, an old arcade game. <laughs> I loved when I was younger. I loved it. And I thoroughly enjoyed this movie when we watched it on streaming. So I'm like, yeah, 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 let's get that and we'll just put it in the library. I think it was like, I don't know, $8, whatever. So I get both movies and let's start with John Wick. John Wick is a Lionsgate film. No movies anywhere. Right. Still. Still. In 2023. Right. Right. Exactly. You can choose Apple or Vudu. And even though both of those participate in movies anywhere, they have no reciprocation. So that's still terrible. I can't believe we're still in this position where that hasn't been solved yet. And of course, I got all fussy about it and sent off a comment to the Lionsgate customer service thing. And they replied back, oh, thank you for your feedback. We're constantly evaluating, blah, 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 blah. All right. And then on Rampage, the code had expired years ago, apparently. What? But the date when the code expires for the digital copy that's advertised on the cover is only printed on the insert. <laughs> so if I had bought this in a store, I would have no idea that the digital copy was invalid until I actually opened the package. Because unlike every other manufacturer, for whatever reason, whoever made this disc did not put the date on the back like you should. I, I didn't so, even know there were expiration dates on these oh, yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They expire. Usually they're good for a couple years. For whatever reason, this was only good for like a year and a couple months after the movie was released on disc, which is just crazy. Well, and but course, even if it would have been two years, like this movie came out in 2018, Richard. It was It's a five-year-old movie. Sure. But I have no idea how old the disc is, right? I'm just buying it. It's available at the store. So I bought it. All right. So I write to them and say, hey, this is ridiculous. It's there's no expiration date on the outside. Can you do something to re-enable it? Oh, sorry. There's nothing we can do. Okay, whatever. No satisfaction from anyone there. But yeah, frustrated with digital copies still. It, it shouldn't be like, it should be easier. Oh. It should be easier. And I'm still having Wi-Fi problems. I have purchased another Eero to see if that will help with the new Wi-Fi. And I'm hoping that this coming holiday weekend, I get to spend time really trying to uh, figure out what on earth is going on around here. Okay. As far as what we've been watching, we've been continuing to watch the BBC version of Ghosts. We are continuing to watch season five of The Crown. We, I think I mentioned last time we spoke, had started watching Prehistoric, Prehistoric Planet, the second season of that. And we watched the full week of that, all five episodes. That was great. Really, really enjoyed that. So well done. We started watching Silo because everybody's talking about Silo. I liked it. It's kind of weird. Have you watched any of this yet, Josh? We are. We, we've been watching all of it. We haven't watched the most recent one yet. But yeah, we're basically up to date with it. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I would describe this as a cross between. Uh, let's see, Logan's Run <laughs> and uh, uh, Total Recall. Interesting. And maybe Snowpiercer. Wow. Okay. Um, I've only even seen one of those. <laughs> so, I mean, because you're, you're basically trapped inside. You don't know why. Well, in, I mean, that's the Logan's Run aspect of it. You don't know why. And there's this very clear class system going on mm -hmm. here. It, it, it's interesting. It's real. I liked it. I don't know that I'm going to get ever to watch any more of it, but I will definitely continue on. It's it's good. Yeah, I think we love this. Yeah, cool. 
Uh, home stuff. So we have continued to watch the Grand Design series that I mentioned on Plex TV. It's really season 14, even though they have different episodes listed there for some reason. And then we watched this Fixer Upper limited series on Max. So, of course, Max now has all the Discovery content. And we've always liked the Chip and Joanna stuff, so we figured we'd try this thing called Fixer Upper The Castle. It was a six-part series, six-episode six series about them renovating a big, huge, old private home in Waco that kind of looks like a castle. <laughs> but they called it The Castle. and. I can't tell you how many times they called it the castle. So often, it's not a castle. It looks like it's not a castle. <laughs> so often that we started to make a drinking game out of it. <laughs> Every time they said castle, drink. <laughs> Crazy. And over the course of these six episodes, they renovate this home to its original glory. And it's amazing. It is in Waco, Texas. Known for the its market, castles. <laughs> the market in Waco, Texas is not going to support this type of home necessarily. And they spent almost a year renovating this thing for this show with the intent of reselling it. So I got curious, where is this thing? <laughs> is it on Zillow? Did they actually sell it? Well, I won't go through all of the spoilers, but I did look up tax records and it turns out they bought this thing for like 400 grand and the current valuation of it is, this is going to sound obnoxious and I'm sorry if it does, <laughs> but with all the work they put into this amazing home, the current value of this home is only about a million dollars. Wow. And they spent a year on it. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So that just kind of tells you how, right? Like that, that that's the most that that market could possibly bear right. for that type of property. It's just, it's, I liked it. I would recommend it to anybody that's into that kind of stuff, but it's fascinating. To me, it was fascinating. All right. Uh, we started watching, no, I say we, a, my, a friend of mine and I started watching Schmigadoon. No way we were going to get Edward to watch this, but Schmigadoon season two, also known as Schmicago. <laughs> and so now it's all based on the musical Chicago, and it's also weird. I'm sure I'm going to watch through it, but it didn't catch me the way the first season did. So I'm hoping it gets better. Following up on what I had mentioned earlier, that I'm watching some LGBT stuff based to. Like what during the month of Pride, I wanted to watch some stuff that I hadn't seen before. So I watched Hollywood on Netflix. That was interesting. Um a, a little racy and ultimately a really nice story, turning uh kind of turning a different perspective on race and sexuality in Hollywood and and creating this fictitious concept of imagine. If black people in Hollywood actually got starring roles what? in the 50s, <laughs> how would that have changed things? Huh. And imagine if a director or an actor or something were actually out in Hollywood in the 50s and 60s. How would that be received? So it was, it was interesting. And then I watched a series, I think, on Netflix called Smiley. It was a Spanish series. It is um, subtitled. No, it's dubbed. And when I went to play it, I'm watching it. I'm like, this is way out of sync. What is going on? And then I realized, oh, it's not in this language. It's not in English. <laughs> and I couldn't stand it so bad that I decided I would rather watch it in Spanish with subtitles. Mm. So I did. And I enjoyed that. And then... Uh, I started watching Uncoupled, which is the Neil Patrick Harris thing that was promoted pretty heavily, I think, at the end of last year on Showtime, 
where he breaks up with his partner of like 18 years and tries to become single again in a very different world than it was 20 years ago. So that's that's been kind of interesting. I'm still watching that. Also, Star Trek Strange New Worlds has started its second season, and it's been pretty good so far. I don't think it's as good as all the stuff I saw in the first season. But the most recent episode had really strong themes about race and identity and immigration and a lot of the stuff that we're just dealing with now in our society. And I thought they did a really good job on that without being too preachy about it. Mm. And then as far as um, everything else, you know, I finished the ebook, start with why I haven't started anything new yet. Been watching a lot of news because um, a lot of stuff has been happening in the last couple of weeks. And in my spare time, when we just want something on in the background, I have found the This Old House channel on Plex. There you go. Perfect. And I love that. <laughs> it's just kind of, it's just laid back and, you know, it always has that evenly paced tone to it. Mm -hmm. And there's always something interesting going on if you happen to look over to it. And if you don't, you didn't really miss that much. <laughs> so That's good background TV. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect background TV. And uh, of course, more laser engraving videos late at night on YouTube before I go to bed. Yeah, probably keeps you awake 30, 45, 60 minutes longer than you intend to be because that's how YouTube works. Yeah, and then I'm thinking about it for the next half hour as I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> right. But, you know, so maybe the timing on that isn't so good. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. All right, that is it for me. How about you, Josh? Okay, well, on the gaming side, I haven't had tons and tons and tons of time to game, but when I have, it's basically all been Diablo 4. Still absolutely loving this game. It is so much fun. Uh, so check that out if if you can. On the TV side, it's just been silo. I already mentioned that. Um, I think I saw this movie before our last episode, but I didn't bring it up. Um, there's a whole bunch of movies that have come out in the last month and a half. Richard, do you want to guess which one we went to the theater to see? I have no idea. There's a new Fast and the Furious movie, Richard. Is there? There is Fast. I X, didn't even know. Or is it X? I don't even know the number, the names and numbers of these things anymore. Um. Jen and I had different feelings on this one. We we both thought that the previous one was really bad, really bad. Like we didn't buy it afterward. We were fine if maybe we never watched that one again. I liked this one a lot more and and, and more than she did. I thought that it was a little less insane of a plot, a little less insane uh, ways that they get out of all of their problems. Uh, just just a better all around Fast and the Furious movie. So hmm. like it it's still not where it was in its heyday, but it it was pretty good. It was pretty good Fast and the Furious movie. Um I don't know if it counts, but we also saw this little concert a couple weeks ago. Maybe people have heard of it's the the Eras Tour by some indie artist named Taylor Swift. Um oh my gosh. <laughs> That concert was insane and incredible. She is such a phenomenal performer. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I like, I almost feel dumb bringing it up because, like, it's not like I can recommend that you go see it because you can't, like, unless you're going to go buy international tickets because she just announced international dates. Like, these things are sold out. You can't get tickets to any of these shows anymore. But if you could, like, even if you're not the biggest Taylor Swift fan, it's just such an incredible show. So really glad we got to go. Really glad that my girls got to see it. They loved it. My wife is so, so smart and had her phone ready to take a picture of my girl's reaction when Taylor came on stage. And it is a oh, photo... Cool. That we will cherish forever. Oh, that's <laughs> was really cool. So smart and such such a great photo. Tons of memories. Of course, concerts are ruined now for my children forever because this was their first concert for both of them, and they will never no. see anything better than this. No. Right? Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was kind of great. Um, on the on the more like 
home uh, media front though uh, did get into some more audiobooks i've i've been trying to hit some of the more classical sci-fi stuff read fahrenheit uh, fahrenheit 451 um this is a shorter one like i think it was six hours eight hours like it's not very long and yeah it's really good like i like i feel dumb even saying it like of course it's really good it's a classic for a reason but a lot of really good things to think through there like it's not just here's a story and that that's what the story is like there's a lot of really interesting things to think about in in terms of like what if we really did get rid of all of the books and it's really good. timely well yeah kind of kind of timely too right so remind me i i never actually read this this is one that i cheated with cliff's notes when i was in school <laughs> and i should read this because i i've wanted to i watched the movie and that was just not good but is this heinlein is it what heinlein who who's the who's the author oh boy uh i don't remember i don't remember the author either okay all right yeah i i, I can get back to you on that um, okay yeah but i do i do want to check this out yeah, it, you should. And like because it's so old, like there's a bunch of different versions of the audiobook that have been read by different people and all of that stuff. So right. like you might not love the narrator and if you don't, then maybe try a different one because your library might have access to multiples. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. So uh then when I finished that, um I had placed a hold for iRobot by Isaac Asimov and I've seen the, was that a Will Smith movie? Is that who was in that one? Um, back in yes. the early 2000s. I saw that, um, but I had never read the book. The book is so far, like I think I'm only a third of the way through it, but the book is completely different. Have, have you read the book? I have not. It, is it not actually, a, a, I thought it was a series of short stories. It is. It is. And they're really interesting. Like, and, and also feels, very timely, as the whole world seems to be exploding over the concept of artificial About intelligence. AI, yeah, right, exactly. So exactly. many, like, basically thought experiments. And this book was written in the fifties, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Wow. Yeah, I, I should, I should read that to it. We never had to read that, and that's one that I have wanted to read. I, uh, looking up Fahrenheit four fifty one, it was Bradbury. I'm oh, right. really embarrassed yes. that I. Didn't I just that. read it and forgot who wrote it. So yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Just e even more embarrassed. But yeah, iRobot, really good. Like if you haven't read it in a really long time or never read it at all, now is a really good time to read that book. It's it's like you 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 think, oh well, I, I saw the movie, or maybe I'm even familiar with the three rules of robotics. Uh it is so much more interesting and deep and complicated than just the surface level rules. Of the three rules of robotics. It's really good. And it's only like and, eight and a half hours. And and really more or less has little to do with the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to ruin anything in the book by watching that movie from 15 years ago or whenever it was that Will Smith made the movie. <laughs> yeah. So that's everything that I've been doing in and outside of my house for media, I guess. <laughs> so, um, Very good. Like we said earlier in the show, this is where we talk about uh, all the other ways you can get a hold of us. We are on social media. I'm still on Twitter at Josh Pollard, and the website is at DigimediaZone. Richard and I are also both on Mastodon, just at Richard Gunther and at Josh Pollard. Um, and then I promise we're going to get back to doing the show live, but with all of the technical problems and all of the scheduling problems we've had, it just hasn't worked. But eventually, We'll get back to doing this show live. Also, that's going to do it for episode 622. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.